0: Hello and welcome to the Monkey Business Podcast from Van Monkey. I'm your host, Adam Baker. Now it is a slightly different one this week, but I think you're going to enjoy it. This week I'm speaking to James Bolly, who started his own business, Purposeful, a few years ago after extensive experience in larger corporate companies. Now the idea of his company was to identify the purpose of a business and to try and build a positive culture to cultivate this success for the business. Now this idea of a positive work culture has never been so pertinent with widespread strikes in the public and private sector. James explains the process of building a positive culture and the benefits of it, but also how to look out for a negative one. But I'll let him tell you the rest. James Bolly, building culture in the workplace, and me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2019, I started my own company, Purposeful, to try and take that message out to some smaller and medium enterprise owners around the UK. This idea that if you're running your business with authentic values and for a reason where people can get excited about what they're doing and emotionally engaged, Mm -hmm. we can make your life easier as a business owner, we can make their life better as team members because they'll see you know, I'm doing something that matters, I'm making a difference in the world. What I found over the kind of four years that I've been running the business was that business owners don't talk about purpose. They often have a really clear purpose in themselves in terms of why they're doing it. And they don't wake up thinking, I've got a problem with purpose or with values in my business. But sometimes one of the things they'll talk about and one of the things they'll um, try and put their finger on is, yeah, the culture's not quite right. In my business mm-hmm. um, and so I've started talking a bit more about culture than about purpose because culture is how your values and how your purpose runs through the entire organization and how everyone behaves mm-hmm. and so that's why um, kind of I rebranded what I'm doing as the culture builder at the beginning of 2022 and why I kind of talk about culture now but it is you know it is fundamental to a business' success mm-hmm. how they do everything um, and yeah that's that's why I'm interested in helping businesses build that culture.
0: And so talking about culture, yeah. now, how important is it to build that culture, and what differences do you see between a company that does do that? is it kind of like a before and after, I suppose? Yeah, yeah so most businesses don't
1: kind of deliberately build a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I mean, I'm often quoting other people that are much cleverer than me, and one of the things somebody much cleverer than me has said is, as soon as two people get together and start interacting, they begin to develop a a culture, which Mm -hmm. is, there are shared things that we find acceptable, there are things that we believe, we're completely different people, but there are things that we will have in common that we believe and will behave based on those beliefs, and that will be, you know, if Carl came back in here, we might have a different group culture than if there's just the two of us here, so Mm -hmm. as soon as people get together and start interacting, culture forms what most business owners do is they have a business idea and they want to be their own boss or they want to make loads of money or they want to change the world Mm. when they start getting people together that culture begins to form necessarily um, you know they can model good behavior but that culture begins to form on its own without their input and depending on the people you've got in the room the things you accept them doing the values that you instill in them, the way you treat your customers, the way you treat your people, the things you incentivize them and measure them against, these things all contribute to mm-hmm. the culture. And I'm sure you've worked in organizations where you've felt like there's been a bad vibe or bad behavior is tolerated. Mm-hmm. When people behave in ways that are negative, that's an indication of the culture not being right. There are some organizations where people can get away with not doing a good job. There are some organizations where you can lie and... Lie to clients, and that's okay. There are some where you can. I've worked with recruitment businesses where one recruitment consultant will go and steal candidates' CVs off another consultant's desk because right. it's all about personal achievement rather than kind of achieving as a team. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's so important because you start your business, people come together, a culture develops, and before you know it, you've got a team of five, ten, twenty people. There's all kinds of behaviors that you don't want to happen, Mm -hmm. all kinds of um, people having maybe negative experiences that they're not enjoying, and then that culture impacts on everything you do. If you don't have the right culture, it negatively affects your clients, if you don't have the right culture, um, it negatively affects the people that work there, and the culture is so important in keeping people engaged, keeping people loyal, keeping people happy, Mm -hmm. that if um, I believe if you take steps to build it kind of deliberately from the beginning, you can weed out some of the negative things that might cause a big risk to your business in future Mm -hmm. and really build some some positive stuff that keeps everyone happy, motivated, engaged, loyal and ultimately means your customers are happy and your business can grow. Yeah,
0: and uh, touching on that about how a culture can form without accidentally almost, um, so I read a piece uh, where you talked about the old-fashioned notion of employee engagement, so this is active thing from an employer, trying to, maybe they think they're changing the culture or mm-hmm. trying to improve the life of their employees while they're at work, yeah. whereas it can actually be a negative uh, yeah. thing. So what what, yeah, what was I your mean, experience with that?
1: I mean I have a, this, uh, this might be a bit academic, but I have a problem with the words employee and the word engagement because mm-hmm. um, I don't believe that in 2023, people are comfortable just being an employee, just turning up and giving, getting some money. And that's, you know, it's, quite, it's actually quite a Victorian yeah. relationship, 150 years old, and it's mm-hmm. a bit out of date. I also don't like the idea of engagement, because the whole idea of employee engagement is you've got this team of people, you need to kind of buy their... Motivation, or You need to trick them into being more engaged. So you as the leader have to come in, be charismatic, and then engagement is something you bestow on them. It's like, I'm going to all inspire right. you now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it needs to be like that at all. Actually, engagement is intrinsic. like. You come to work because you love elements of your job and there's something about it that deeply satisfies you. If you can connect somebody to that and show them how their unique gifts make a positive difference to your customers, to the world, Mm -hmm. then their motivation is going to be kind of inherent and, and within them anyway. And actually, kind of engagement initiatives like, oh, we're going to sign up, you know, it's going to be a fruit bowl in the office on a, on a Monday or we're going to go to Walton Towers at the end of the quarter or um, whatever it might be or you know you can get 20% off at the cafe down the road mm-hmm. that's all nice to have but it's not going to affect some, how somebody intrinsically feels about their their job yeah. and so I think the role of the uh, the leader in the organisation is to try and build the conditions so that people can create their own engagement and their own satisfaction with their with their work and if you think about you know how much better would the world be if everybody loved their jobs and felt like they were making a, a difference? Like, yeah. We'd be much happier.
0: We were, I mean, especially for the amount of time that you spend yeah. at work. I exactly. mean, it's, it's almost a third of your life, isn't yeah. it, really? So, loads yeah. of loads, yeah. So So f- for a small company, how important is it for them to build the culture compared to a larger company? Is there a difference in the way that you do that, or is it the same, it's just a scale thing? or. So, um, culture is a really interesting thing to
1: think about in this case because culture can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. And, like, you read all these case studies about why did Netflix succeed? Oh, it had a great culture. Mm -hmm. Why did Enron fail? Oh, it had a terrible culture. Like, actually, culture is just what people praise or blame when things go right or wrong a a lot of the time. The truth is, in an organization, there will be multiple cultures going on at at once. So, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a company that's got two offices, there'll be two different cultures. Yeah. In a company that's got five teams, there'll be five slightly different cultures. Um, so, obviously, the bigger the organization, the more complex that gets. Mm-hmm. So, I'd say it's kind of more difficult for a larger organization. But even in a smaller organization, um, the way the salespeople behave out on the road versus the way the admin team behave in the office could be two completely different cultures mm-hmm. and the reason why it's important to bring that together is so that your customers get kind of a unified view of what it's like working with you so they get the same experience when they're being sold to as when they're being getting their invoices when they're being serviced by the customer service team or whatever it or whatever department they're interacting with and mm-hmm. everybody feels like as I say they're using their unique gifts to do different jobs but they're all pulling together as part of a part of a whole. Yeah. Now, it's quite complex. It doesn't necessarily have to be difficult to build a great culture in an organisation, mm-hmm. but you do need to be aware of the fact that you know as soon as people are sitting in different offices or in different teams, it, it does get a little a little bit more more different because they'll have different cultures mm.
0: themselves. And do you think this is something that's always existed, always been thought about? Is this you know fifty years ago were the companies that were already doing this? Um, Or is it something that we're only cottoning onto now? It's
1: that's a really interesting question, and the honest answer is I don't really know. Yeah. But when you look back at, um, you know, it's kind of the the way we work today. The foundations of what we do were kind of built in the Industrial Revolution, Mm -hmm. where you needed people to operate machines, and you just needed the people to be in the place and doing the right um, (laughs) the right job. And I. Actually, think that you know, 150 years ago, a lot of organisations didn't care about their people. You know, they'd be mm-hmm. having arms ripped off in looms or whatever they would be, yeah. whatever they would be doing. But there were some organisations back then, maybe more driven by uh, religious principles than by economic ones. So mm-hmm. thinking about the Quaker companies like Cadbury, where yeah. they built an estate, um, mm-hmm. you know, all of their workers should live somewhere clean with access to um, a garden large enough to grow a fruit tree if they wanted with great communal facilities. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously that benefited the company and benefited them, but that was driven by their religious beliefs. But, you know, that is, I think, really similar to what you might have seen Google doing 10 years ago with the bean bags and the pool tables and the slides in in the office. It's kind of just a modern equivalent. I think people have always been interested in this idea of how can we ensure that people are happy, healthy and productive at work, it's just over time how people have tried to do that and what it's looked like, I think, has changed. Mm-hmm. Now, I think um, today it's probably heightened, partly by social media, partly by you know the access to um, information about other companies and so on. Yeah. You'll read a lot about, you used to read about millennials and then you read about Gen Z or Zoomers, well, whatever they're called now. Mm-hmm. And this idea that people coming into the workforce now at the age of 16, 18, 20, 21, aren't prepared to accept anymore that they need to turn up to a physical building, do eight hours work and then go home and then be happy that they've got a paycheck. They want to feel more involved, more engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it's true. I'm, I'm nearly 44. I don't want to turn up and do a job that I know is complete nonsense. You know, yeah. I want to feel like I'm making a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. I know people in their 60s that want to make a, a difference. So I don't think it's just general, Gen Z coming into the office that's making culture and workplace well-being and all that kind of stuff more yeah. important, but definitely they are more comfortable, more confident talking about it than my generation was and the generation before. So I think it's always been there. I think the trends in how you deal with it have been have been changing over time. I think it is probably becoming something that people are talking about more, but I think it's always been there in the background.
0: And speaking about talking about things more, yeah. um, that with especially my generation and maybe people slightly younger than me, um, talking about things that didn't used to be spoken about is, is a hot topic, yeah. and that's mental health is yeah. probably one of the main main topics, yeah. um, and how do you think that links to having a culture at work? So I think um, a lot of the research,
1: I mean when Google um, ran the research on their highest performing teams, the single biggest thing um, that they found differentiated the best teams from the worst performing teams was a sense of... Um, in, inclusivity and um, psychological safety was the term that was um, coined to describe it. Mm-hmm. this idea that you could be yourself, you could bring your whole self to work yeah. and if you've got a problem at home or you're stressed by your work, you can talk about it and you won't be negatively um, yeah. marked by your by your boss because of that and it's you know it's gained a lot of prominence kind of uh, over the years coming, but I think good mental health, there's lots of evidence that suggests that good mental health comes from feeling like you are making a contribution, you're making a difference, and you are valued as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think having meaningful work is actually a a fundamental part of good mental health. Now, obviously, um, there's been lots of examples in the past of cultures that have not allowed people to speak up. So one of the famous case studies is Nokia, Mm -hmm. where they had a very kind of positive can-do culture but that meant that over time, junior team members were frightened to bring bad news to senior team members. Uh, okay. They were frightened to challenge mm-hmm. each other. And so their product development suffered and they felt, you know, when the smartphone revolution happened, Nokia really fell behind because, you know, just down the company, people didn't want to hear bad news because you always had to be positive. Mm-hmm. You can imagine how that kind of good vibes only, good news only culture might also affect somebody's mental health and the feeling yeah. that they're, they're able to talk about it um there'll be different different cultures will allow different things and different behaviors will be tolerated i would suggest that if you are trying to deliberately build a culture today you need to make sure that it's one f- where people feel safe to be vulnerable feel safe to talk about their feelings mm-hmm. that doesn't mean necess- you know doesn't mean that if you're in an office of 20 people that somebody can stop everyone else working and cry at their desk and have a breakdown, you might want a private way of dealing with that, yeah. but that person who's under stress or suffering with, with whatever it might be has to be able to bring those emotions to work and feel, feel welcome and, and, and like they, they belong, yeah. um, you know, whatever those feelings are.
0: And you, you mentioned Google, yeah. obviously an American company. Are there other countries that you look at and think they've got this better than we have in the UK or they've started thinking about it more... Extensively than we have in the UK, not
1: not particularly actually no. Um, and one of the things one of the things that really winds me up when I listen to podcasts and watch things is when the person speaking all their examples is Apple, Tesla, Netflix, yeah. Google. It's like I don't care about those big companies because yes, Google can afford to build a skyscraper with slides all the way through it. I can't do that in yeah. my in my business. Yeah. Um, but you look at um, the just released um, the the Scottish. Um, business Minister has just released a, a report saying that they are going to start including social purpose um, metrics. They're going to start giving small businesses purpose training and how to find purpose in, in their work. They're going to build a kind of Scottish Purpose Maturity Index. Mm-hmm. Scotland is a country where um, the government has decided that economic output is not the only way they're going to measure their success, they're also going to look at um, quality of life. And they're going to start trying to encourage businesses to think about social value a lot more than we do in in England so looking to Scotland you think okay that's good but you look across Europe you look across the UK there are all kinds of organisations doing great things with their culture and all kinds of organisations thinking about how they can do things differently so you think about the B Corp movement so benefit corporations organisations that um, are proving that they have a commitment to their people and their communities alongside making money, I think it's a trend that's, that's really positive in the West Midlands and in the UK in, in, in general. So no, I don't look jealously at other other countries. Yes. Um, there's probably, if I was a psychologist, I'd probably talk about how um, national culture can impact on company culture, but I'd be out of my depth if I started talking <laughs> about that, so I'm not going to, that's all right.
0: Well, I mean, the only reason I ask is obviously at the moment we've we're seeing a lot of striking in the public yeah. and private sector as mm-hmm. well, probably the private sector is reported on less than the public sector. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those strikes have been linked to pay, yeah. um, but also working conditions. Yeah. Um, so how do you think culture and pay feature, yeah. sorry working conditions and pay feature in culture? So
1: culture is the way your organisation does. Stuff does anything mm-hmm. um, and one of the one of my colleagues always used the really interesting statement that the way um, the worst behavior you tolerate is what your company culture is, so like yeah. the way you do all these things contributes to your culture now, in an organization, I think you have to look at. Five things you need to look at: the basics of the job. You know, do people feel psychologically safe? Are they physically safe? Um, do they get paid enough to live with dignity? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the working conditions, particularly in the public sector, um, come under scrutiny. You know, where you look at you know nurses having I don't know the statistics, so yeah. you know nurses having a real ter- a real terms pay cut ten years in a, in a row, mm-hmm. um, train drivers being asked to do two jobs, and they're worried about the safety of the passengers. These things. Are fundamental, and if you don't have those basics in place, people can't be happy to do their job. Mm -hmm. The basics is kind of like a hygiene factor. If it's you can't make somebody twice as satisfied by paying them twice as much, Mm -hmm. but you can destroy somebody's happiness at work and your company culture by not paying anybody enough. So if it's absent, it's a disaster. But there's also lots of research saying once you earn about 40,000 pounds. Getting more money doesn't really make you that much more satisfied, and yeah. that amount of money will change over time. But you know, money doesn't drive happiness. But then there are things like do you feel connected with the people around you? Do you have the autonomy to do the job where, how, when you want? Are you getting better at it? And, and lastly, purpose does it matter? These things make a huge difference in, um, in people's satisfaction at work. Mm. I don't think anybody's ever gone on strike because they're like, I don't see how this, how the job I'm doing improve society. Yeah. But if the basics are missing, that's when people will take a stand and say, no, I can't, I can't do this anymore. But the way you as a company deal with the basics mm-hmm. says as much about you and your culture as the way you let people work from home or um, how you help develop them or how you encourage them to be connected to their customers and the, and the people around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that culture is intrinsically linked to pay and working conditions, but I think pay and working conditions probably reflect the culture of that those organisations rather than um, um, rather than the other way around. Is that, does that make any sense? Yeah,
0: because I mean, I, I was speaking to my mum about this and she used to work at a high street uh, retailer, which I won't name, but um, <laughs> they used to supply, well, there'd be dentists that would come in and hairdressers oh, yeah. and cooks yeah, yeah. and, you know, all those different things for the employees while they were there to just... I mean, partially it meant that the employees didn't have to all book a dentist appointment yeah, yeah, yeah. and then have time off, but you know, still it felt like a positive thing. Yeah. But that no longer happens. Is that something that you've seen quite a lot? Is it something, do you see any of those in companies these days? And do you think what mm. the effect of that is, basically?
1: I mean, that's a really interesting question. So I this is probably going back 10 years now, I went to a meeting at a uh, northern supermarket head office. Right, okay. And we went into the meeting room and there was hair all over the table. Um, and the, the guy we were meeting said, oh, sorry, like we, we have a barber comes in every Tuesday lunchtime and uses this room as, <laughs> as a barber's. Yeah. Um, and so clearly, you know, the barber had just left and we came in for the meeting. There was still hair all over the place. <laughs> and I'm like, that's one of the weirdest meetings I've ever had we kind of brushing hair <laughs> off the table so you can sit down and talk, but yes, that keeps people in the office mm-hmm. longer, and so there's a part of the the company wanting to do that. But um, I think one of the one of the shifts that's been really interesting here is um, as companies get run more and more for profit. So mm-hmm. you look at some high street retailers like Boots PLC, you know, it was taken private by. Kkr and Stefano Pessina, mm-hmm. Um, you know the more these companies are run for profit and short term profit is seen as the thing that you need to drive, the more these types of services are cut because there's not a tangible immediate benefit of having a dentist in house yeah. actually it's just a cost, and somebody somewhere will have made the argument of well, okay, we lose a hundred hours a week on average because people are booking dentist appointments and going away mm-hmm. so this dentist um, costs us thousand pounds, so hundred hours versus a thousand pounds. If we pay people more than 10 pounds an hour, it's not worth it, yeah.
0: um,
1: or less than 10 pounds an hour, it's not worth it, and you know, it, that decision is made on a spreadsheet, but there are organizations where their primary goal is to encourage great relationships, or their primary goal is to provide great employment opportunities mm-hmm. where the, um, the discussion is somewhat different. But the last 50 years, you know, business orthodoxy that has been taught in business schools and has been pushed, this idea of shareholder capitalism, we need to make as much money as possible because making money for the shareholders is what matters. These types of things will be stripped out because they're seen more as costs than as tangible benefits. I'm sure that it will swing back the other way over time, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly as the way people work maybe more from from home and more remotely um, happens when you come into the office. There's got to be more there to keep you there, and so I suspect over the next few years we'll see more in-house services like that coming back in as well. Because mm-hmm. it's come to the office, collaborate, have your meetings. Oh, and there's going to be a masseur here today. And if you need to get um, your teeth checked, we've we've got you know we've got a dentist once a month. Uh, particularly as companies begin to, begin to share office space and co work a lot more, I, I do suspect that will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is, you know, if you if you said to me, you know, if we worked together, if you're a small business owner and everyone in the business, what really motivates them is, you know, we're making as much money as possible because what's really important is, you know, we're helping our team buy their first homes. We're helping people have fantastic home lives because it's all about maximizing the money we make so that people can make personal choices in their lives. We're like, okay, well don't spend money on an in-house dentist then. Yeah. Because it is a cost and you can maximize, you know, you can save that cost. And if your goal is to spread that money back out within the team because you pay great bonuses or pay really well, and then they can make choices in their private lives, don't lay on any of those costs. It doesn't make any sense at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But there will be organisations that it does make sense for where it's about being a family maybe or supporting each other or things like that. And I think it really will depend on on the organisations.
0: And do you think at the moment, especially when we're seeing striking, that's normally... Companies. I don't want to say dictatorship, but <laughs> companies dictating the terms to employees. Yeah. Rather than, I know employees. I don't know what terms to use other than employees. Yeah. yeah. Um, but rather than employees being asked for the terms that they would like, yeah. Do you think, as you mentioned, things will swing the other way? Do you think that's the, the thing that swings?
1: I don't know. I don't know is the honest no answer to yeah. that. I mean, um, Paul McCartney from The Beatles always said the best bands were benevolent dictatorships. Yeah. And I think if you've got a benevolent dictator, it's it's kind of fine. Um, mm-hmm. The reason why I don't like the word employee is because it, mm-hmm. imp- it implies a power. Power is, resides with the company and you're just employed by the company. And All I right. think that relationship works best when it is completely equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is, when I work with um, businesses, one of the first things I do is I talk to team members and listen to them and make a list of all of the complaints um, that they have. Mm-hmm. Not com- I mean, complaints might be a bit strong, but the things they're worried about, the things they don't like, yeah. things that don't feel right in the business. And then we'll go on to look at kind of what the values of the organisation and what's its purpose. Mm-hmm. And when you go back to the complaints that they gave at the beginning, the complaints are normally... Places where the company has not lived up to the values that are important to the people within yeah. it and those values can become completely they can become important to the team members without the company getting involved at all now i 'm not an expert on nursing or on postal workers mm-hmm. whatever, but there is something in the contract that the nurses have made with the NHS or the um, mail workers are made with Royal Mail, there's something in the values there that the company is not living up to to make them feel like they need to take that decision. Yeah. And if you think about it in an organisation, um, a in an organization, smallish organisation that's not striking, mm-hmm. we're not kind of at the, at the point where people are going to down tools because they're so dissatisfied. I'm thinking about somebody I worked with recently, you know, this bonus scheme is unfair. Mm-hmm. I hate the bonus scheme. The boss is saying, well... The bonus scheme exists because I need you to contribute this much money to the business or the business doesn't make any money. Um, But underlying all of this, we always say our clients are the most important thing. You always go above and beyond for your clients. The bonus scheme is saying you don't have time to go above and beyond for the clients because you need to do as much work as quickly as possible. And so actually when people are complaining about the bonus scheme, it's not we need more money, we're greedy, it's, it's all about the money. It's... We thought that it was really important to do the best job we can for our clients. You've created this system that penalises us for doing that. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd think about in, in, a, in a small business is, you know, what are people complaining about and what does that say about where the company isn't living up to its side of the, the bargain? Mm-hmm. Now, for striking workers, there's a big bit missing. For most small companies, it's not going to be that. It's going to be a, a series of small pieces. Yeah. Um, but that would be one of my advice for any. One of my pieces of advice for anyone listening is um, go and talk to your team and don't, don't be defensive. Just listen. Mm-hmm. If somebody says, you know, the bonus scheme is rubbish. It's like, don't try and justify the bonus scheme. Just listen to them. And then have a think about what all the complaints actually mean. Um, again, somebody much more clever than me said, people talk about meaning at work all the time. It's just if you're not listening properly, it can sound like complaining. Right. And those those complaints are actually a really rich source of you understanding where you as a leader are not living up
0: to the values of your of your organization mm-hmm. if you listen properly. So how do you build a culture then? <laughs> <laughs>
1: so as I say it's complex, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be difficult. So from what I've seen in 20 years working in these big organizations and 4 years working with a range of smaller businesses and, mm-hmm. and actually implementing this. The key thing is to build on the right foundations. Um, The metaphor I always use is if you're building a house, you can't just wander into a field and start putting bricks up. You need to build the foundations or everything's going to fall down. And those foundations are understanding your values and your purpose. Um, And it doesn't mean not every company in the world, it's fine to make money, not every company in the world needs to be trying to save the whales or end environmental degradation or whatever it is, it can be about the difference you make in the lives of your customers, the difference you make in the lives of your people, it can be anything, Mm -hmm. but it's really important to be in touch with what it is that your business stands for beyond just making money and uh, getting a new car for the owner, Mm -hmm. um, or getting the owner's kids through university, or whatever the, the underlying financial motivation is, and it's about what are the values that we can all buy into, like how do we all behave, what are the things we all believe in, and then you build on top of that. And the order I think you need to do it in is, first of all, you need to look at your company strategy and is that aligned with your values
0: mm-hmm.
1: and your purpose. Um, then you need to look at what you're measuring in the business and how you measure success and how you incentivize people. Because nothing nothing changes people's behaviour more than saying, do you know what, all that matters is new sales. Um, you know, We say we're all about fostering a sense of community, but this year it's all about how much we've sold. I mean, so okay, so forget all that, we're just gonna go focus on selling. Yeah. Um, so you need to measure the right things and incentivize the right things. And once you've got those things in place, then you can look at how you treat your people, mm-hmm. then you can look at how you treat your customers, uh, and then you can look at the systems and processes you've got in place to reinforce the, the living, the values through those things. And that's absolutely, they've never done it deliberately, but all of the successful businesses I've ever worked with have ended up at that point where their employee experience, team member experience, their customer experience, their strategy, what they measure, and the processes they've got in place to support all that, it's all perfectly aligned with what everyone thinks the values are. Right. And that's how you build a great culture. Mm-hmm. Um, now on top of that, you've got to find, you've got to find the bad behaviours, mm-hmm. and you've got to stand up against them.
0: Yeah.
1: Because nothing will undermine anything more than saying, "Well, okay, we know this guy's an idiot, but he sold more than anyone else last year, so we 're going to let him carry on being an idiot right yeah. you 've got to step you've got to you 've got to stop the behaviors that to, um, obviously go against the the values mm-hmm. um, but that 's how I would work with a business to try and build that that culture and it 's not it 's not a quick fix like if you if you 're sitting there thinking i 'm not sure about my organizational culture people aren 't trying hard enough, people are leaving." Um, people don't seem to be happy, you can't click your fingers and change it overnight, Mm -hmm. but if you can get in touch with those values, um, and build on top of them, over time you can really affect the, you can really affect the behaviour of people. And that's kind of, I think it goes back to a question you asked earlier, like, because the way people behave is based on their values and their beliefs, you can't change what someone believes about their job by, um, getting them a perk box or by bringing fruit to the office. You can't change the way someone feels and believes about their job by taking them to Alton Towers once a quarter. You have to get deep into what it is that people believe about their job Mm -hmm. and interact with them on that level in order to effectively change their behaviour and change um, the culture. There's lots of things you can do about that. You know, What are the stories that you tell that demonstrate the the good things in the organisation? How decision's made, who's got the, got the power, um, and how do you communicate those decisions? What are the symbols of success in the organisation? Yeah. Um, all of these things can contribute to it, and you can make simple changes, but ultimately you've got to do things that that change how people feel and believe about the job that they're, that they're doing if you want to change that culture.
0: So for, for a business owner, yeah. what are the telltale signs that there's something wrong with the culture of the company
1: oh that's an amazing question because it means i can plug my culture killers checklist Um, (laughs) so i've got a list of like um on my website um theculturebuilder.com there's a download for the culture killers where there are 26 things that i've seen small business owners do that um that negatively affect culture that they might not realize they're they're doing so go there and do that but um (laughs) uh, more importantly um you know you have i think you have a problem with your Culture. If um, you have lots of unexplained short-term absences,
0: yeah.
1: Um, if the work consistently, the work people I- deliver doesn't meet your expectations. If there's a real mismatch between what you think you're asking for and what people think is okay to deliver, you've got a problem with your culture. Mm-hmm. If teams are arguing against each other or people are arguing against each other rather than working together for the customer and for the organization, you've got a problem with your culture. Um, and if people are um, leaving, um, if people are leaving quickly after they've joined, you've got a problem with your your culture. Those are the symptoms that I think will will indicate there's a there's a cultural problem. Mm-hmm. Often when I speak to business owners, the things that they are concerned about is I just can't find the right people. Um, I'm worried that, for example, Adam's going to leave because he's really good and I'll never be able to replace him. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't take time off because I need to check in to make sure the work's being done or that it's being done to the right standard yeah. and I'm losing loads of weekends and evenings because I'm having to redo or check work that, that people have done. Those are the things that you know, don't have to be true if you have the right culture and the right people in the, the business. Those things don't have to be true and you can change those things. So those are the symptoms you'd look out for.
0: Mm-hmm. And at the moment, just to switch a little, um, so we're seeing a lot of, uh, Elon Musk is a prime mm. example. Ego at the top of businesses. Yeah. And do you think that's a poor role model for business owners? Do you think that has had an effect? Um.
1: I'm not sure. Well, it's interesting because Tesla has always taken as a as a case study of a real purpose-led brand that's a real success story. So if yeah. you think about um, Tesla, they've always said that their purpose is accelerating the world's transition to renewable energy. Mm-hmm. So Tesla is a alternative energy source battery manufacturer. They just happened to decide that the best way to get that renewable energy into society was through luxury high-end electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. You know They were also putting Tesla batteries in houses and trucks and doing rockets and all this kind of um, stuff. Mm -hmm. Tesla was always held up as a massive success for that reason. With this Elon Musk in the organisation potentially as a bit of a wild card, Mm -hmm. not necessarily um, doing best practice, but inspiring people around the mission and inspiring people to work hard. And you often find this with entrepreneurs, they're successful in a a business. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of what it was like when they went from 100 to 1,000 people when they get to 10,000 people, they're like, well, why is employee 10,000 not working like employee number three was? And it's like, because it's a completely different experience when you're at 10,000 rather than at three or, yeah. or whatever it is. But they're often trying to get back to that feeling of, oh, I loved it when I was a scrappy little startup and now we're a big company and we've got bureaucracy. I hate everything. Oh, right, okay. And I think, um, I think that's probably what, what has happened at twitter is you know elon musk says well i have a playbook that worked when i grew spacex when i grew tesla when i grew my other businesses Mm -hmm. i need to run that at twitter i can't run it in this big organization so i need to cut everybody and get back to that scrappy startup phase and then i can run the the playbook effectively yeah um unfortunately um you can't yeah as i say any group of people has an an existing culture and you can't just come in and Crack it in half with a with an axe. You, you have yeah. to understand it. Um, and one of the phrases that my, one of my old CEOs always used to use was that culture eats strategy for breakfast. It doesn't really matter what your strategy is and how good it is. The existing culture will kind of destroy that strategy because behaviours persist because they're based on beliefs, yeah. and you can't change somebody's beliefs by coming in and saying answer yes to this email if you're prepared to work sixty hours a week or you're fired like that's you know that doesn't work um i don't think anybody's looking at elon musk today and saying he's the leader i want to be like yeah Um, maybe they were three years ago i'm not i'm not sure um but i don't know i i i don't think that elon musk is kind of making a big a big difference to leadership um practices today and that's one of the things that i find frustrating that i mentioned before is you know elon musk is the is the guy who's held up as the you know this is the this is what an entrepreneur looks like,
0: yeah.
1: Um, or Richard Branson or Steve Jobs. It's like, where are the Carl Smiths? Yeah. In this, you know, um, particularly in the UK, um, half of the people in the UK work for small, medium enterprises. You know, mm-hmm. that is, and most of them actually for really small businesses, where so ten or fewer uh, team members. Ninety-nine um, percent of the businesses in the UK are small businesses. Those business owners are the ones we should be looking to because they, they. They know how to do it. the The person who runs the uh, has run the barbers on the high street for fifteen years. The person who runs the successful nail salon, the person who runs the um, commercial vehicle sales and leasing company, they're the ones that we should look to for how they're building the culture and building their businesses sustainably, mm-hmm. rather than the multi billionaires.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the only other thing I was going to say was that the first thing that I saw on your website was, earn more, work less, live happier. Yeah. So, the implication of that being, we aren't doing that at the moment, or the majority of us aren't doing that at the moment. Um, So, do you think there's anything... Well, you you mentioned Scotland before, so what kind of legislation could help all the myriad of small businesses that we have in the UK? Could help them follow that? Or people who are thinking of starting their own business or might might be a bit daunted by the the Mm -hmm. prospect of it?
1: That's a good question, and I do not know what the answer is in terms of legislation. Mm -hmm. Um, If I did, I would probably be in a different career um, (laughs) trying to push that, but I think that um, in business schools, um, for 50 years people have been taught you can measure profit, you can measure turnover. Your duty as a business owner is to make that profit, Mm and you'll pay your tax, and that's your contribution to society. Or you have shareholders and giving them the money is is your legal duty. That's probably what needs to change is that when you start a limited company or a partnership or whatever it is, you have a duty not just to return money to the directors, the owners of the business, but you also have a duty to look after your team members and um, the community that you operate in. I think you have a duty of care to to society Mm -hmm. um, for running the business. And that is, I think, where... um, where we can make a huge difference is in um, holding up, you know, as examples, people that are doing that brilliantly. Now, I mean, I talk about um, earning more, working less and living happier, because most business owners um, I know would like to work less and they'd like to earn more. And if you can do both at the same time, they'll be happy. And so they'll live happier. Mm -hmm. But I actually think that if you can get your organizational culture right, if you can build the conditions for your culture to thrive, yes you'll have to work less because the work will be better, you, you'll have to replace people less often, um, they'll be more engaged, more motivated, more productive. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you'll, you'll work less because you'll have to chivvy them along more and redo their work, chivvy them along less and redo their work less. You'll learn more because the work they'll do will be better and your business will grow because customers will be happier. Mm-hmm. But actually everybody in that business will have better lives because they can be engaged in the organisation that they're, they're working in, and it's um, it's the research of Teresa Amabile um, from Harvard University, and she um, uh, wrote a book on this called The Progress Principle. And her you know, a very crude summary of that book is: people are happiest in life when they can feel like they're making progress on something that matters. Yeah. And if you, as a business owner, will make more progress on something that matters to you, if you can help your people see that they're making progress on something that matters to them if you can bring that all together into your organization and build a culture around it you will build a successful organization because that's what the big brands have done maybe not deliberately but that's what they've done over the years mm-hmm. if you can um, if you can do that you will make a really positive contribution to everybody's lives not just you know get enough money to, to pay your, your, your um, credit card off or yeah. pay your school fees or whatever your financial goals are and the world will be better and so that is you know that's the promise behind work less earn more live happier is you know yep you can have some of your time back to do things that you love spend time with your family whatever it is yep you can earn more money so that you can um, do more fun things but everyone here is going to be happier and that is your legacy for for future generations
0: if that makes sense. It does. And that feels like quite a good place to end as well. No, thank you. For <laughs> Looking positively me. for the future. <laughs>
1: yeah, thank you for um, uh, asking me. I didn't expect all those questions, but well, I quite enjoyed them. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, so did I. So thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to yeah. come and talk to me. No, cheers, that was great. cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I found it quite enlightening, and I think it's really important for business owners to consider what their culture is within their business and to really set some time aside to think how it could be improved. If it could be improved, could be great already. Now, if you'd like some help in doing that, you can get in touch with James. I'll put the link to his website in the bio. In the meantime, there are some very helpful guides and information on his website too. That's Purposeful, P-R-P-S-F-L. So, thank you for watching or listening, however you received this information. I'm Adam from Van Monkey. This is the Monkey Business Podcast, and we'll see you next time.